Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And while we will start in chapter 11 and work our way through that, for the purpose of the text this morning, I want to just read the first three verses of Hebrews, chapter 12. And I eventually want to preach to you on this thought, surrounded by real heroes. Surrounded by real heroes. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you would, please stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Father, this morning we are honored with your presence. We are grateful for the privilege to come together and worship you. And Father, I pray that even now, Lord, as I pray, that your Spirit would come across this place and God, that you would arrest our hearts. Lord, I pray this morning that you would even speak to the children, God, that are here in the midst of us, Lord. God, that you would arrest their attention. And Father, that your Spirit this morning would have your way with us. God, we need you to have your way with us and not the other way around. God, I ask now that you would anoint me to preach in the power and in the unction and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Help me not to be lengthy, God. Help me not to take any more of your time than you'd have me to do. Help me to say nothing more than what you'd have me to say, but God, help me certainly to say nothing less. God, I ask that you would save sinners this morning. God, that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that the veil would come off and they would see their need for you. Lord, I pray that your word would encourage your people this morning to stay in the race, not to back down, not to become fearful and discouraged and dismayed, but to triumphantly move on in this race you have called us into. Have your way, we ask it in the precious name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We are in a race. And in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, we have the warning to look to Jesus so that you might not become discouraged. Can I tell you this morning that there is a real enemy, a real devil, there are real demons, there is a real opposition that tries to discourage us from continuing on the race that God has called us on to. There are untold millions who have entered the race, who have decided they're going to uh, become followers of Jesus Christ, who, who turn their life over to God and say, I'm going to follow Him, it doesn't matter what the cost is, only to find out that eventually you become discouraged, you become dismayed, you find yourself confused, thinking to yourself, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. I didn't realize there were going to be so many people along the way trying to trip me up, and that when I would fall, there would be so many that would either laugh at me in my pain or simply run on by and not give me a hand back up, and you become discouraged and you become dismayed. You need to understand this is a real warfare that you are in. This is a real race, and there is an opposition to our fight. There is a battle that we have been called into as Christians. In our text, the Hebrew, the, the people of this particular church that Hebrews was written to, many of them were going through extreme persecution. Many of them were questioning turning back to their old former lifestyle because in their old former lifestyle they were not persecuted, at least not unto death. Many of them, if you will, to try to put it into modern day terms, they were thinking to themselves, this is not what I signed up for. 
I signed up for the love and the joy and the peace and the comforts of Christianity. Only to find out that I am being attacked at every side. That there is opposition everywhere I turn. That even some seek to kill me and take my own life because of my devotion to the Lord. And they had come up with this conclusion. It'd just be easier to turn back. It would just be easier to call it quits. It would just be easier to say, I'm done standing up for what I believe in. I'm done following Jesus. I'm done being a sold-out Christian. It was a whole lot easier back over here. And Paul writes this text. The author of Hebrews. It's argued whether or not it's the Apostle Paul. The author of Hebrews writes this text to them to tell them, stay engaged. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't become discouraged. And this morning, that is my admonition to you. Don't give up. Don't grow discouraged. Don't turn back to the old former ways. And don't decide that you're just going to stay where you're at and quit running the race. That is the point of of, of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. But before we deal with our text this morning, I want to take us briefly through verse chapter 11. In verse 1, the author says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. One of the reasons he says you can't give up is because you are surrounded by these great witnesses that he names in Hebrews chapter 11. And so rather than reading all of Hebrews chapter 11, I have a few choice passages. You're welcome to follow me if you want. Let us start in verse 1. Where the author defines, what is faith? You know it's important you understand what faith is. You have been called to a life of faith. The Bible tells us that as Christians we actually walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, the vehicle by which we move forward as Christians is the vehicle of faith. It is what moves us in a direction. Faith. Now, verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means that in our Christian life, God has called us to having a focus that is future. That He has prepared for us a heavenly home. That while He has promised that on this side of heaven He would never leave us or forsake us, this side of heaven is not the prize. That our prize is forward. Our prize is in a day yet to come. And true faith grabs a hold of that which is to come. True faith says, I will move in the direction that God has called me to go to. I will be faithful to God. I will be faithful to His commands. I will obey my Lord. I will not shrink back because my eyes are future focused and not on the things of this world. You have to understand that that's what faith is. Faith is not about God fixing everything here and now. Faith is not a guarantee that you're going to have four cars and five houses and three boats and two jet skis. Faith is not a guarantee that you're never going to be sick, that you're never going to have difficulties, that you're never going to have pain, that you're never going to have death in your family. Faith is not about those things. Faith is about a reality that our God will do what God said He's going to do. That God will accomplish what God started out to accomplish. And the same God that sent His Son to bleed and die that we might be saved, the same God who transformed our hearts and turned us into His Son and His daughters, that same God is going to bring us home. And He's going to give us a home that never perishes, that never grows old, where a thousand years, a hundred million years down the road, your home will be just as new as it was on the very first day because moth does not destroy and Rust does not enter in and destroy in that place that God has prepared for us. Brothers and sisters, that's where we're going. And ultimately, that's what God wants our focus to be on. And I'm telling you, if your focus is not on those things, if your focus and your faith is not future-driven, and your eyes are not beholding the prize that is to come, and you are consumed with the things of this world, you will become overwhelmed, you will become dejected, and in a very short time you will decide it's not worth it. Listen to the preacher this morning. It is worth it. 
It is worth serving God. But you better get it straight this morning and you better let it sink deep into your soul. It is a race. It's a race. It's a battle. It's not always easy. And it's not a sprint. This isn't a hundred yarder where you can just give it all that you got and you're done. This is a long-term endurance race that doesn't end until you breathe your last breath. And there is a method to the race. There is a plan by which we have to uh, work by and run by if we're going to make it. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. You see, faith takes us to believe and rest upon that which we can't understand. You weren't there when the world were formed. God didn't ask you to understand how it happened either. He asked you to believe Him. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. You need to understand that. All of your motions, all of your activities, all of your going to church, all of your reading of your Bible, all of those things, if they are not in faith, it doesn't please God. God is not impressed with your ability to, to quote more Scriptures than the person to your left or your right. God is not more impressed with your rap sheet of what you have or haven't done. You've got to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what we do, if we do not do it in faith, it is fruitless. It is not right. It is with the wrong heart. Verse 7, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place, which he would receive as an inheritance. Notice that both Noah and Abraham and Rahab, all these people, I want you to notice something about faith. While faith is future focused and it believes the promises of God, it has a direct result on my obedience to God in the here and now. You cannot separate real faith from obedience. If you are not obedient to God, and you do not obey the commands of God, and you do not follow Him with your true, full heart, you have a faith problem. You can argue all day that you have faith and that you believe in God, but if you don't obey Him, you don't believe Him. We see in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where some have called it, if you're not familiar with the term, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith in the Bible. Because it is the chapter that lists all of the heroes of our faith. And it, it gives a very brief description of what they did through faith. Such as, by faith, Abraham obeyed. We notice that faith brings about obedience in the here and now. Now, only you can be honest with your heart this morning. I don't intend to get in an argument with you. I don't ten, uh, intend on trying to prove you wrong and me right. Only you can be honest with your heart. If you are disobedient to God, it is an indicator your faith isn't near as real as you think it is. So this morning, a very simple test to find out, is my faith truly strong? Is, are you obedient to God? It's very simple. And you alone can be honest this morning with that question about your faith. Abraham obeyed by faith. They go hand in hand. Verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. This morning, your brother and sister, Christian this morning, 
Your home is not here. Your home is not here. We see that these heroes of our faith, that Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, that, that the heroes of our faith, they lived in such a way that indicated and they boldly proclaimed, we're pilgrims here. A pilgrim means, I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. This is not my native homeland. It's not going to become my native homeland. I'm just here for a very brief period of time. I'm going somewhere else. That's what a pilgrim is. Now, even the the patriarchs, even the fathers of our faith saw themselves as pilgrims. Let me ask you this morning, Christian. Christian sir. Christian lady. Do you see yourself as a pilgrim in this land? Or are you trying to build your earthly kingdom? Are you wrapped up in trying to build things and purchase things and accumulate things that you can't take with you to the real city that you're supposed to be in, uh, that you're going to be a citizen of one day? How do you live your life? Our forefathers, the patriarchs of our faith, boldly proclaimed, this is not my home. As Christians, we too ought to live in such a way that everyone around us can tell and see that we are living for, we are focused on, and we are moving towards another home. And in the process, I'm trying to bring as many people with me as I can. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph in worship. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. When Joseph died, he gave instructions concerning his bones. In essence, he said, I'm paraphrasing, don't bury my bones. Keep them in a box. And when you enter the promised land that God has promised my forefathers and me, bring my bones with you and bury me in that land of promise. You see, that was faith. That even after I die, God is going to be faithful to what God said He'd be faithful to. And one day, our children will enter the promised land because God has said it will be so. Don't bury me in this place. This is not my home. Take me where God told me you were going to go. That's faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. We see the faith of the Red Sea. Verse 29 The faith of the Red Sea. Verse 30. I'm almost done. But I want to show you who he's talking about. The cloud of witnesses. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. 31. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish. Now look at verse 32. And I'm going to read the last few verses word for word. And I want you to pay close attention to the witnesses that surround us. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, Turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now look at verse 36 and 37, carefully. Talking to you about a difficult race. Still, others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. 
And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. This morning, the writer of Hebrews invites us to remember. He pictures this race and... In this particular era of time, they had similar events, much like ours, where they would have a, uh, an amphitheater of some sort, a stadium of some sort, with a round track, much like ours today. And people would come and pack these places out to watch sports. They didn't have television, they didn't have radio. If you wanted to see sports, you had to go watch live sports. Paul gives the analogy of this race taking place and the people that are in the stands surrounding us, cheering us on to not give up, are the saints of old who have shed their blood for their faith. I want to submit this morning that I don't believe this is entirely and completely just a... a, a, you know, a, a nice thought. That somehow, some way, these heroes of the faith truly do surround the church and truly do, through the spiritual realm, they, they, they uh, admonish us to go on. They are encouraging us, don't give up, don't turn back. When we fall down, they're cheering, get up and keep going. These people are cheering us to go on. The lives that they had beforehand that we can look at and read about and understand from their example. Those lives, they speak to us, but also even after being dead, their lives, they speak to us and they encourage us. You can't give up. I want you to think for a moment this morning. If you are discouraged, I want you to stop and ask God to help you truly meditate and get it in the depth of your soul. These people are cheering you on. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Sarah, Moses, Gideon. These people are cheering you on. Don't give up. You have some of the greatest heroes the world's ever known behind you saying, keep running, don't give up. And they know what they're talking about because they can say from experience, it is worth the race. It really is worth it. And when you cross that finish line, it's more than you ever could have expected. And it's everything that God said it would be. It is perfect beyond our ability to understand. They know what they're talking about. They've entered into that place. And even after entering into that place and looking back on all of their hardships and all of their trials, they say with one unified voice, don't give up. Keep running the race. It is worth the work. And it is worth the battle. We're surrounded. What a blessed truth. It is something I believe somebody probably needs to get settled in their soul this morning. We are surrounded. You are not alone. You are not alone. First, we see that we are surrounded by these great uh, heroes of our faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Isaac, Moses, Gideon, David, Ruth, Esther, and the likes. But we're also surrounded by those who are visible. By our brothers and sisters. You need to, I'll say it again, you are not alone. The power of darkness is individualism. The power of darkness is isolation. The devil wants you to feel like you are all alone. Like nobody cares. 
Nobody's cheering you on. Nobody's got your back. Nobody knows what you're going through. But can I tell you this morning on the authority of the Word of God, that is simply not true. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You are not alone. You are surrounded. There are men and women who have been where you are. They know what you're going through. And they have triumphed victoriously. And they stand there today to say, don't give up. Keep going on. We've been there. We know how it hurts. But it is worth the fight. The devil tries to isolate us. I want to talk about the two forms of isolation. Both of them are devilish. But one of them sort of looks um, honorable. The other one, not so much. Both of them are devilish. The first one looks honorable. It is the I can do this all by myself mentality. It is the, as long as I try hard enough and do enough, I'm okay by myself. I don't need your help. I don't need her help. I can serve God all alone. I can do it on my own. And, 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 and a lot of times this prideful thing rises up and, and, and people quote certain scriptures to, to try to back up that mentality of why they don't really have any real support system, why they're not connected to the body, why they're not under anyone else's authority, and they're just kind of free agents doing what they want. This is sort of the mentality of the modern day church. We've come to a place where, for one, we don't want to judge anybody. And so, in an effort not to judge anybody, what that means is we don't hold anybody accountable for their sins. It's just a free-for-all. Everybody's on their own. Your walk with God's your walk with God. My walk with God's my walk with God. And their walk with God is their walk with God. Every man for himself. No, that's not the Bible. We are a body. And when you do wrong and you are disobedient, if you are part of the body that I'm part of, that hurts me. It affects me. And consequently, when you do right and you stand strong in your faith and you're obedient to the Lord, that helps me. Because we are a body. This is community. This is the way that God designed the church to be. We need each other. Lone ranger Christians don't make it. And the reason why is this, because it's not God's plan. And if you don't submit to God's plan, you won't work it out in God's way. Your unwillingness to be connected to a church body, your unwillingness to be under authority is actually a straight stare in the face at God. I will not be under your authority, God. That's what it is. We need each other. God designed community. And I have watched individualism destroy people. Pride takes over in the heart of the person that's just all individual. I'm not under anyone's authority except God. Listen to me very carefully. That is a statement that's impossible. Because God has demanded that all of us be under some level of authority. So if you are under God's authority, then you are also under the authority of God's delegated authorities. So anybody who says, I just answer to God. No, you don't. If you did, you'd answer to someone else too. This is God's design. We need each other. The other side is clearly negative. It has no appeal whatsoever. But many get wrapped up in that. And that's the side that I'm all alone. And I believe that this is what Paul was really trying to uh, speak to in the, the, the Hebrews. It's the feeling that nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows my pain. Nobody cares. It's not true. You are surrounded. You are surrounded. Can I encourage somebody this morning? I don't know who I'm speaking to, but if you're struggling, if you feel like you're all alone, please quit isolating yourself and being all alone. It might be hard to push through into the crowd and to push through and say, I have a need. It might be hard, to, but, but do it. 
Find one person. Find somebody. Some brother or sister that you just see Christ on their face. You might not even know their name in this place. But don't be isolated. Go to somebody and say, here's what I'm going through. Would you pray with me? Don't allow the devil to push you back into a corner where you feel like you're all alone. Paul reminds these Hebrews who are fixing to go through very intense persecution. Many of them already were. Some of them had possibly lost family members. Some of them possibly had family members that were in prison awaiting their fate. Paul reminds them of those who went before them. Some of them were sawn. Some of them were sawn in two. They were tempted. Some of them were slain with the sword. Let their testimony be our victory. Don't shrink back when you look at all of those who have given their life and who have fought the good fight of faith and who died for the faith. Don't shrink back. Do what they did and live by their example and be strong for the Lord. A person cannot survive on an island. You were designed for community. And the community, if you're saved here this morning, the community that God has called you into is the eternal body of Christ. It is the greatest community. In eternity past and in eternity to come. It is the body of the redeemed. You have been called into that. You have a place. You have a position. You have a race to run inside the body of Christ. Can I tell you that truly there is nothing more significant than that? Nothing? There is no job on earth. There is no title on earth. There is no family on earth that is more significant and greater than the family of the living God. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you turn back and look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Can I say something this morning with all candor? I'm just trying to preach to you the Word of God, to tell you what it says. I didn't write it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more, the more as you see the day approaching. Can I submit to you that meeting once a week for an hour and a half to come to this service is not the fulfillment of, quote, so much more... As you see the day approaching. Coming here one service a week is not the fulfillment of so much more as you see the day approaching. There is a need for community. What I'm not going to tell you is that you have to come here for every service, Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning for this service, Sunday night for the Sunday night service, Wednesday night for the Wednesday service, if you really love God. I'm not going to tell you that. But what I will tell you is this. The command of God says we ought to come together as a community all the much more as we see the day approaching. And I have no hesitation in saying one service a week is not that. Period. Now, if that means you get together in your home, If that means that you join together with other brothers and sisters, maybe from your own family and you have family Bible studies or or, or within the context of your own family or maybe a few groups of friends, then, then so be it. But that is not the case with most Christians. Most Christians, listen to me carefully when I say this, most Christians' devotion to the body of Christ is a half hearted devotion. It is a devotion that says, I want to do as little as I can while still feeling like I have met my obligation. That is not the heart of the gospel, and that is not the teaching of the Bible, and that is not God's heart for His church. It's quiet in here. Sunday morning service. 
And yes, I am preaching to you. You need to get committed. Committed to the body of Christ. I've already said it once and I'll say it again. And I mean it with all my heart. I'm not sitting here telling you, if you don't come Sunday night, if you don't come back tonight, you don't love God. I'm not sitting here telling you, if you don't come Wednesday night, you must not love God and you're not serious about your faith. But I am teaching you the Bible this morning. There is a principle that we need each other and that there is a command for us to be regularly meeting together. All the much more as you see the day approaching. And as I said, and we'll say again, I have no hesitation in concluding one service for an hour and a half a week is not the fulfillment of that promise. Now ask yourself, are you doing your part to be connected to the body of Christ? Maybe it will be a home study. Maybe it will be something you do within your community. Maybe it is something you do with your family. But we need each other. The point is this, that we learn to look beyond our own lives to the cloud of eternal glory. And when you aren't what I will call deeply connected to a church, when you are not deeply connected and committed to the body of Christ, it becomes very easy to become inward focused. Even your religion becomes that way. It becomes about what little I really have to do to stay in a right standing with God to get God's stuff. And, and the true focus of um, outward work and the true focus of doing something and, and trying to bring people into the kingdom of God, the true focus of the eternal glory that lies ahead of us, it begins to fade away when we are not committed and connected to a local healthy body where we are regularly being taught and encouraged from the Word of God to be all that God has called us to be. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The enemy wants you to stop running the race. He just wants you to stop. As a Christian, it would do you well to get it settled in your heart. I'm not going to stop. Just get it settled. And, and it, Paul says this in uh, Ephesians. He says that we are not ignorant or unaware of the schemes of the devil. You see, it actually helps to know the devil's plan in this race. That way, when his plan seems to start working and his plan seems to be uh, forming something in your life, you're aware that, oh, this is the devil. This isn't God telling me to quit running the race because sister so-and-so gossiped about me. This isn't God telling me to drop out and to give up my ministries and to quit doing what I'm doing because God has called me to run the race. We need to understand that there is a devil out there that tries to discourage us. And I have no doubt, because that is a biblical truth, I have no doubt there are multitudes here this morning. You have been discouraged into getting out of the race. You were running, and you were running hard. And your eyes were fixed on what God called you to do. And out of nowhere, somebody threw a stick in there, and your feet got tripped up, and you fell down, and you got hurt. And you were embarrassed because people saw and you said to yourself, I'm not going to do this anymore. If this is what serving God is all about, I'm not in. You've got to get up and keep running, friend. You have got to get up and keep running, brother. You've got to keep running, sister. You can't become discouraged. That is the tactic of the devil. He just wants us to quit. He just wants us to say, enough's enough. Somebody else can run the race. You go tell them about Jesus. You teach Sunday school. You preach. You deal with it. And discouragement sinks and It is a real thing. Can I tell you, you've got to be aware of the devil's schemes. In the moment when you begin thinking to yourself, maybe it's time I just step out for a little bit. 
Maybe it's time I just take a little break. You need to know something. That little break will turn into a two-week break. That two-week break will turn into a two-month break. That two-month break will turn into a two-year break. And before you know it, you'll be thinking to yourself, where did my zeal for God go? What happens when I, I used to just want to serve God and I just wanted to be involved and I wanted to help and I wanted to tell people and I wanted to be doing something that was building the kingdom of God and now I just feel so lethargic. I don't have any desire at all. That's because when that voice came in and said, just step off the track for a little bit, you didn't realize it was a voice of the devil. The Word of God encourages us now, even in weakness, even in trials, even in the face of absolute torment and torture. The Word of God encourages us, no, don't give up. You've got to keep running. You've got to keep running. You can't give up. And this morning I prayed that this Word encourages somebody's soul. That you need to understand, if you have given up, God is not angry at you. God is not looking to punish you. God is not trying to make you feel condemned because you fell on your face. This morning God is calling to you, saying, child, the race is worth running. Get back up on your feet. Dust yourself off and give it another shot. And this time beware that there's a devil that wants to trip you up. Get it settled in your mind. Get it settled in your heart that you will not give up. You will not back down. You will not step off the track because one day, brothers and sisters, the race will come to an end. And when that day comes, we will all wish that we had ran with all of our might. There is nothing worse than the feeling of running a race and coming in second, coming in third, coming in fourth, knowing you didn't really run hard. I'm, I'm a, I used to be a really competitive person. But even as competitive as I was, if I ran as fast as I could run, and I knew that I couldn't do it any harder than what I did, if I finished third, or if I finished fifth, or I finished first, I didn't really care. But there's nothing worse than giving it a half-hearted effort and then losing. See, the good news about every race is this. Every race comes to an end. Every race comes to an end. When you begin to get tired, when you begin to think about giving up, when you, begin, when you fall on your face and, you're, and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. Remember this. The race will come to an end. Just don't stop early. Eventually, one day, we'll leave this place. And we'll stand before the One who's ultimately judging our race. This morning, I ask you the question. I'll go ahead and ask our worship team to come. Prepare a song of invitation. I want to ask you the question. Are you running your race? I want you to think about all of the excuses that you give for why you're not in. And this morning in a crowd this size, we're going to have people from all over the spectrum. There are people here who are lost. You're not saved. And if you don't start running the race, and if you don't turn to God and repent of your sins and place your faith in Him... One day you will spend an eternity separated from God in eternal hell. I plead with you this morning, if that is you, run to Christ. Amen. Turn from your sins. Amen. Get in the race. Yeah. And then we're going to have Christians from all spectrums. Some who have totally got out. You're hurt. You're wounded. You said enough is enough. And if you're honest about your position, you're on the sideline. And you're not even cheering. Then there's some of you who are on the sideline, but you're cheering because you think cheering somehow means you're part of the game. God says, I want you to do more than show up and raise a hand and shout every now and then and cheer people on. All that's good. But I have a race for you to run. There's some of you who are faking your race because you want to look like you're running. But really, you're trying to hold it back and throttle as much as possible because you don't want to run the way you know God's called you to run. You don't want to put yourself back in that place where you can be hurt. You don't want to be vulnerable again. You don't want to be in that position again where you might fall. Get up. Get up. 
put your eyes on Jesus and consider Him who, who, who withstood so much hostility from sinners. You've been called to follow Him. And then there's some of you who are probably running with all of your might. Let me say to you, thank God for you. Don't give up. Be aware of the schemes of the devil. Because if you're running this morning with all of your might, there is nobody on the track the enemy wants to slow down more than you. Be aware. Be aware. Stay focused on the future. Stay focused on heaven. Stay focused on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Wherever you are this morning, I encourage you. You know what? I have one last point I forgot all about, so I'm going to preach it. I'll be quick, though. What is the answer? What is the solution? Verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The responsibility is on you. The responsibility is on you. You have to make the choice to lay aside the weight and to lay aside the sins that so easily ensnare us. The responsibility is on you. Whatever the need is in your life, this is your opportunity to respond. There's probably some here this morning, you need to be saved. And you know it, and God's dealing with your heart. I'm going to tell you to come in just a minute. There's probably some of you here this morning that you're on the sidelines. You say, I don't want to get back on the track. The race is brutal. Come on. It's brutal on the sidelines too. You're not any happier there than you were in the race. Get honest with yourself. You've been deceived by the devil into thinking that it's easier on the sidelines. It's not. This life is not easy, period. That's why He's promised He'd never leave us or forsake us. That's why He's with us. That's why through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit alone we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You need to get on the track. Maybe some of you need to quit pretending. You're jogging, so it looks to everybody like you're running. But you know, and God knows, you're giving it a half-hearted effort. You're not really running the race. He's called you to run. This morning is your time to say enough is enough. God, I surrender to you, and I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll run how you tell me to run, and I'll be who you tell me to be. Lord, I pray that you'd move all across this room in the name of Jesus. Have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your steadfast love, sin has raised its head once again, and I did not stand in the power that you've given. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. For you alone can fully redeem.
many clothes of righteousness that you've been longing for. The joy he gives can never be replaced. All he asks is for you to meet him in this place. This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. And this is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me. This miracle called the choices I've made, and this is where His blood covers every one of my mistakes, where brokenness meets healing, and guilt is overwhelmed, by the truth that God's love can reach beyond where I can fail. This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. This is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me this miracle called Calvary this miracle called